Good morning, everybody. It is so awesome to have you here. Though you are not here and I am not there, we get to be together. And so we are grateful for this time. And for those who are concerned that we have not taken care to make sure that we have 10 people or less here, the total count in the building is nine and a half including the half of the Kayla Wilson baby. So, we comply. We're glad that you're staying home. We hope that everybody is well. I just want us to, to get into the Word. I want to look at the, the story of David and Goliath. And I know that if you have been to Sunday school once in your life, you probably have heard about David and Goliath. And Pretty much the application that's been made of this story for generations is when there's giants in your life, be like David. And sometimes that, that giant in your life is the bully in your classroom or it's the fact that you're broke and bills are coming due. What I want to do is read through this story and, and really give you the, the biblical perspective of this of this story that's not just about be like David in that he was little and he kicked the giant's backside. But beyond that is that David served a great God and God kicked the giant's backside for the sake of his own glory. So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and for those who have been reading along with us in the Bible throughout this whole year, I want just to put it into perspective where we are. We began, of course, Genesis 1-1 creation, Genesis 1-11. through And then from there, it was the redemption promise to a covenant people. And that took us through the part Genesis 12 through Exodus. And then the law of the land that was... Leviticus through Deuteronomy, that's the part that you were just pressing through as you were reading. And then now to, to this section, the part about failed kings in a united kingdom. And, and in this you see Saul and David and later Solomon. And so, you know where we are that God, remember, the people wanted a king. And God said, you don't want a king. And people said, we want a king. God said, you do not want a king. So we demand to have a king. And God in his sovereignty said, all right, you want a king. Here's your king. He stands head and shoulders above all the other people around you. But you're going to find out who reigns. And so they have Saul as their king. And now we come to the point where the Philistines are standing against the people of Israel, and it's tough. It's a tough time, and this head-and-shoulder king, he is not standing up to the challenge. So, read with me 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Suku in Judah. They pitched camp. At Ephes, Demim, between Soko and Azekah. 
Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now let's pause here a second. What we have going on, you can see, we don't have mountains like this in Gates County, but picture if we did. Mountain on each side, valley runs in between, most likely a dry valley. And so one army's on one hill, other army's on the other hill. And Goliath, the champion, is sent out to call out the other side and say, would you send one guy to me? And just note that champion is a term that's really used here only. And champion means the man between two armies. And Goliath, big dude, he would make Shaquille O'Neal look short at nine feet, nine inches tall. And this coat that they're mentioning here weighs 125 pounds. And so keep up with the size of this guy. He is a, an imposing man. And so, he has on his legs, in verse 6, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. That is 15 pounds just for the tip of his spear. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And then in verse 12, the scene just turns. It's kind of like you're watching a movie and it just turns and changes scenes. Now David was the son of an Epaphrodite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. And so, skipping ahead, we'll just paint this picture. Three of his sons went to war. David is being sent by his father to go and bring them some stuff and check on them. And he even says, bring back a token from your brothers or bring back some assurance from them. And then early in the morning in verse 20, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel 
and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his line and shouted his usual defiant, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. And so we have this battle lines drawn, Goliath in the middle calling out every day, time after time, for 40 days at least, send me a man, or are you wimps? Would you come and fight with me? And imagine nine foot, nine inches tall guy, nobody is willing to go fight. And then David comes on the scene and he hears it, and he is not happy. And so they have, they are there with David. David hears this, and he goes to them and says, who's going to fight? I'll fight this guy. And they said, no, you can't fight. But finally, he goes to the king. He goes to Saul and expresses his willingness to fight. They dress him up in Saul's armor. He can't even carry that. And so he takes the armor off and he goes to, to fight the battle. And so, in verse 41, meanwhile, we switch the camera again to a, a different story. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. David's going after him. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. Because that's the natural reaction to someone who is ruddy and handsome, right? Just hate him right off the bat. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel all those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And so here's where the action takes place. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. There are some arguments of at what time in this battle that, that Goliath actually died. What we do know is, is that if a rock, a pebble, a stone, sinks into your forehead, the lights went out. We don't know if he's dead but the lights are gone. So David 
triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Yeah, now they're brave all of a sudden. And they're chasing down the smaller Philistines, right? So what I want to, to focus on today are three facets to this story. But before we go any further, let's just pause a moment for prayer. Father, we praise you for this moment. And yeah, we face giants in our lives. And even this pandemic, however we look at it, whether it is overblown or undersold, Lord, help us to see that no matter what, this is about you. This is your world. You created it. And you're in control of it. But Lord, help us as we go into battle. To not try to be the little guy taking out the big guy. Lord, help us to see the point of this story. And the point of even today in our lives. That you cower to no enemy. And that if we are fighting your battles, they're really already won. And so Lord, I pray for every person who is, who is watching. Everyone who's hearing your word. Lord, may they hear your truth and respond to you in faith. And Lord, I pray that you would take me out of the way. That you would be our teacher. That you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And Lord, move us to take the next step that brings you glory. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So three facets of this story. First is the invincible character. You've seen, you've heard all about... Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall. Even his spear, his spear weighs as much as a turkey. He is a serious dude. But everybody else in this whole scene sees Goliath one certain way. They see him as imposing. They see him as a killer. And they're afraid of him. There's only one person in this whole scene that sees Goliath differently, and that is David. David doesn't see him as a giant. David sees him as an annoyance who is a dwarf compared to Yahweh, whom this nine-foot-nine-inch dude has called out and defied. And so, there is this impossible challenge here. That no one is willing to meet. And so David goes on this journey to please his dad. He goes 15 miles from home to the battle lines 
and he is not driving. And when he gets there, he is ready for battle. He goes and he finds out that Saul's, Saul is sweetening the pot to get somebody to fight that's not Saul. Because Saul has already decided in his heart that has not happened with him. And so he promises great riches. He promises his daughter as a wife. He promises to free the person who takes out Goliath, free their family from taxes as April 15th or the July 15th deadline approaches. Think about how incredible that would be. Would you be willing to go out with a sling and a stone to avoid paying taxes for life? We're pausing a moment for you to think about that. But David, something interesting here in verse 39. When he is preparing for battle, as we look into the word, he, he brings this matter to Saul. And in verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. And so he is getting ready for battle. He's putting on Saul's armor. But then something important happens here. He takes off the armor. He drops the sword. And he goes into battle armed with something even better. He took off what man trusts for winning a battle. And he goes into battle with only God. Think about how we go into battle. He went into battle, put everything aside that every other man on either side was trusting in to win the battle. The only one that saw the giant as a dwarf compared to Yahweh also trusted God enough to lay down everything else and go into battle. And so thus, from an invincible character to an impossible challenge, we have an improbable champion. Why was he a champion? Because God, the true champion, was fighting the battle. And he was passionate for the glory of God. And he was confident in the power of God. I find it interesting, too, that as we look at these three brothers of David's that he goes to meet. His oldest brother, Eliam. Keep in mind that he is the one. In when we see him in verse 28. That he is the same one. He is the one that was thought to be worthy of anointing as king by Samuel just a few chapters earlier. And so no one is able to take on the giant but David because passion for the glory of God and he was confident in the power of God. And so now we see this story, but I want us to look at it. There's three different levels to this story. There's an individual history where we see the character Goliath. And the challenge is to defeat the giant. And then the champion is David, who is the soon-to-be king, already anointed 
not a coincidence. So that's the individual history facet of this story. But then at another level, you have a national history where the character in this case are the surrounding nations. The Philistines in this case surrounding God's people. And so the challenge is to deliver God's people from the enemy. Saul couldn't do it. Saul wouldn't do it. And so there is this champion. In this case, again, it's David the shepherd. David, the one who is empowered by God. God raised him up. And we can see in the future where the people see that Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And so then you go from individual history, national history, to redemptive history. And in redemptive history, we have Satan. This character is Satan. The challenge is to destroy sin, destroy Satan. Who will take on this foe? Who will take on Satan? Will it be you? But then, there is this champion. Jesus, the Savior King. Out of the shadows of Bethlehem comes this improbable champion. From a humble family, he faced death. And he was saved from death by God, his Father. He did it for the glory of God. He did it by the power of God. And he was raised to life. Let's go back to the battle. Something that I think is just amazing here. In this battle, when David goes at Goliath, he whacks him in the forehead with a rock. He goes down. Then he goes and takes the giant on sword and takes him out. So step one, he fell on his face. Step two, decapitation. I want us to go back just a few chapters. Go back to 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 4. There is... There is an account here of something pretty interesting. If you've been reading through the Bible, you've already seen this about the Philistines. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, After the, the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face, step one, on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground, step one, before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. God has the whole thing rigged. God has been planning this all along. God is supreme. He is powerful. And he is just as powerful right now as he has ever been. And so, 
I want us to look. I think that something else in this case is very important here too. Just a side. For those of you who have read through the Bible and you have survived Leviticus, and I have told you that press on, press on, that this makes sense, I know that I will not hear it when you scream it out, but if you have read and you know what is the Levitical punishment for blaspheming God, which is what Goliath did. The Levitical punishment for blaspheming God, stoning. God reigns. And so if you look at this story, and you see it is more than a story, which it is, I want us, as we spend our time together, I want us to look at three prayers from this story for us. What if we, what if we had the mindset that as we face our God, that it's not about our safety, but it is for God's glory. What would that mean as we look at a pandemic? And so the first prayer I want us to focus on this morning is, God, help us to live with passion for your glory. God, help us to live with passion for your glory. What does that look like where you are? What does that look like where you work? What does that look like in your school? What does that look like in your neighborhood? What does that look like in your church? God, help us to live with passion for your glory. In every problem that we face, in every place we go, that we do not sit silently, but that we share God's glory. And I know that as I think about who is watching this, who is in their pajamas right now watching Facebook Live, I cannot imagine the immeasurable amount, this list of obstacles that are watching right now. What are the obstacles in your life? But above all of the obstacles is God's glory. Above all of these things, think about David in this situation. David was not popular among his brothers. He was certainly getting ready to not be popular among his king. And he was despised by the giant. And yet he left these obstacles and in the power of God became the champion. So God, help us live with passion for your glory. Secondly, God, help us to live with confidence in your power. God, help us to live with confidence in your power. And if we serve a powerful God, which we do, we serve a God who already knows the end from the beginning, Think about this. On the cross, the battle is already won. And so, we do not fight for victory. We fight 
from victory. And that changes everything. If we fight from victory because the battle is already won, think of the mindset that that alone would have in David's mind. That God has already won the victory. He has just got to go carry out this plan for the glory of God. And so, when we read this story, we naturally put ourselves in David's shoes, right? We naturally put ourselves in David's shoes. Who would not want to be the hero? Who would not want to be the one who is the runt of the litter taking on and beating up the school bully? Who would not want that place? But in reality, we identify more with the other Israelites because Christ conquered sin for us and we have been given the victory. We have been won the battle by a champion. God won the battle for us. And could you even imagine what it would be like if we had to fight the battle of Satan and sin ourselves? We would lose every time. So thirdly, that brings us to the final prayer. God, help us to look to Jesus as our champion. And this is a big deal for Americans to take our eyes off of ourselves and stop trying to orchestrate the events of our world to center around us, to back off of that and allow God to be our champion. And, and I said allow because that's sometimes the way we look at it. God is the champion. It is up to us to come into line with the one who's already won the battle. So, in every temptation, in every sin that we encounter, will we look to Jesus as our champion? God, help us to look to Jesus as our champion. In every temptation and sin we encounter, in every trial and struggle we experience, whether it has to do with finding more toilet paper, or whether it has to do with fighting for the next breath that we live, will we look to God as our champion? Let's look at it from redemptive history standpoint. You and I, wherever we are right now, we are facing a giant. We are facing an invincible giant. And that is sin. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You hear that plain words? We're short. We fall short. And so, we can go up against sin with whatever tools that man has. And man has good tools. We have the tool of ignoring it and hoping that it'll go away. We have the tool of shining the light on something else and take the light off of the real problem of sin. And so if we make life all about success, if we make life all about money, then we can shine the light to the side and not focus on what is the real giant, which is sin, the invincible character. And so it becomes an impossible challenge that we throw everything we have at it. We throw this list of rules at it, that if I just obey all of these commands, if I just obey every Levitical law possible, then certainly 
then surely I will take out this invincible challenge, this invincible character of sin. But it becomes impossible because there's no way we can be perfect. And so we need this champion. You need this champion. I need this champion to fight the battle for me that I could never have fought for myself. And so really, David and Goliath is a precursor for God versus Satan. And to be truthful, God won the battle versus Satan long before David ever fought Goliath. And he won the battle with Satan in your life long before you were ever born. And so think about this. When you think about this passage being all about stepping up and putting on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and just going to work and fighting through a tough day, we have made the enemy so much less than the real enemy of sin is. And so let us see the real enemy in our lives is vicious and wanting to hate us, despising us and wanting to take out us and all of those like us. But let us rally to the one who is the champion and see that Christ is conquered, that he has conquered sin, he's conquered Satan, he has conquered our suffering, he's conquered death. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we know that he has fought the battle and we have nothing to fear. And so what does that mean for you? As we get ready to close, as our band gets ready to come, I want to, to challenge you in this. What is God saying to you right now? What is the next step for you? What is He leading you to do? To turn away from your sin? To trust Him with your life? To believe that Jesus did die on the cross for your sin? And that he was raised again to life on the third day. And that he longs for you to run to him. And as, he, as you run to him, he wants to save you from sin. He wants to show you his love. And so I want to pray. And then we just want to allow you the opportunity to respond to this. And, and yes, you can't come down this aisle... But you can make a phone call. You can send a text. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to the church. Reach out to your pastor if you are not around here. But I'm praying that God would be the champion of your life. And give you the courage to take the next step. To reach out to Him. That He will meet you in this battle. That He has already won the victory. And He will save you. So let's pray together. Father, right now, we've read your word and we're challenged by it. And Lord, as modern Americans, we're challenged to place the focus where it belongs. To see you as the hero and not ourselves. And Father, all around this county, all around this world, all throughout the internet, as people are hearing this truth, 
Father, I pray that you would show the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would challenge people to take the step from death into life, from fear into faith. And Lord, I pray that even right now, as you convince us that your church is not a building, that your church is the people of God worshiping and bringing glory to you who is the head of the church. So Lord, right now, in living rooms, in cars, wherever people are hearing this, I pray that you would do your work in the hearts of the people you created. Rescue us from sin. Rescue us from self. Help us to cry out in faith to you. And Lord, I pray that as we confess our sin, that as we cry out to you in faith, that you will save us. And I pray that right now the people are reaching out to you for salvation, even as we pray. And God, I pray that as the amen is said, that, Lord, you would help everybody to take the next step, whether that is to reach out to their pastor, reach out to a believing friend, reach out online to church. God, I pray that you would reign, that you would be the champion, that there are no heroes in this story except for you. And Father, we just thank you for victory that you won at the cross, that you won on the battlefield with David and Lord battle that you are winning in our hearts right now. That you receive the glory. That you have your way in our lives. And Lord, we just thank you for this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.